So uh, John the Baptist, I really think he's just the coolest character. I really do. I think he's so cool. He's one of the best in scripture because he's honest. There's not a lot of that. He's honest. He says exactly what's on his mind. And his mind and his heart are both wholly devoted to God's work in the world. He's an incredible character, and because of that, he's jarring, he's overwhelming, and he's more than a little off-putting for most of us. By today's standards, he's probably a little too passionate in his call for repentance. Most of us would not respond well to someone calling us children of snakes, I don't think and demanding that we change our lives in order to flee from the wrath that is to come, it's definitely not the kind of message that wins hearts and minds over in the 21st century. You children of snakes, who warned you to escape a judgment that is to come? What a question. That is a heavy, heavy question. But if you can bear with me for a few minutes, his question is actually a pretty good one. Before Jesus actually walked the earth, the idea of the day of the Lord was actually a pretty scary one. But it was really most scary for people who were in power, because the people who were in power were the ones who were neglecting the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the outcasts. The prophets spoke very harshly to these folks, the ones who were in power. They were the same ones who believed that their own wisdom and their own strength was enough to carry them forward. They were the ones who stopped believing in God's power and instead started trusting in their own power. Essentially, they became competitive little gods working against God. That's why John the Baptist's insult is such a good one. You children of snakes. Do you get it, right? Where, where else do snakes show up? Where do they appear in the Bible? If you've read, just start in the very beginning. It wouldn't take you many chapters to see the first snake that appears. The Garden of Eden, right? Uh, there's a snake that becomes a symbol of the temptation that we all have to align our trust internally with our own sense of what is right and wrong, good and evil, rather than God's understanding and teachings of good and evil. The snake symbolizes our temptation towards self-absorption, pride, and all of the things that spring up from them. So calling the religious leaders children of snakes is pretty good. It's pretty good. Because they stopped trusting God, they stopped following God's teachings, and they were preoccupied with their own ego. They were preoccupied with their own pride and their own accomplishments. Their faith was just a show to gain more power over other people. And y'all, this is something that we deal with on a regular basis ourselves. Where does your strength 
come from? Where do you put your trust? What makes you successful where you are? Seriously, where does your sense of what's right and what's wrong come from? Where does your passion spring up from? Where do your talents and your skills come from? And I would guess most of us in the room right now are struggling with our ego's response to that question. We all know what the right answer is. God has given us all that we have. Nothing exists except through God's grace. But we also know how hard we've had to work to get to the place that we're in now. So there's an internal debate. At least this is what's happening for me. What is mine? And what is God's? Making it in this world is a constant struggle. Finding success in life and in business is a constant grind, calling some of us to work 70 and 80 hours a week. That's the narrative of our culture. If you want to be successful, you have to earn it. You have to make your own sacrifices. You have to make it happen. But that isn't the gospel story. That's the cultural story. It's the capitalist story. You have to pull yourself up. You have to earn what you get. You have to do it all on your own. It's a fine education, but it's the snake's education. It isn't the gospel story. So you see, John the Baptist is just making an observation that some people in power were going through the motions in pursuit of their own status in God's kingdom. They were showing up at the bank of the river because it seemed like an awful lot of people there were devoting themselves to John. So maybe if they could buddy up with John and get some power of influence through that mutual relationship, they might have more strength in the next step of their journey. You see, it was about them. And John refused to be used that way. He refused to be seen as anything other than a messenger pointing towards God, whose presence was just beginning to peek up over the horizon. And instead, John challenged these supposedly recommitted religious leaders. He looks at the men, because uh, they were all men, he looked at these men who had been Occupied with themselves for their whole lives, who suddenly had an urge to be baptized by a prophet in the wilderness and align themselves with a new movement, clearing a pathway for God. And John stares them down and says, Prove it. Prove it. If these folks really were committing themselves to God's kingdom and not to their own kingdom, there should be radical changes in the way that they operate in the world. You see, 
This is the same tension that we're caught in today. Where does our strength come from? What are we committed to? This week I heard a podcast message that really stuck with me. Um, Leonard Sweet, who I don't always love, he said that there are really two challenges facing Christianity today. Um, I don't know why it's been sticking with me, but it really is. He says there are two challenges facing Christianity, Christianity today. One in the church and one in the culture. One in the church is that there's Christophobia in the church. We're scared to speak the name of Christ. And in the culture, there's Christianophobia. And the way that those two things play out in our culture and in our church keep us from being able to be authentic witnesses to God's power in the world. I'm not really sure why it stuck with me so much because, I mean, it's hyperbolic in nature, right? Like, the church isn't scared of Christ, I don't think. But I do wonder where our priorities are sometimes. I wonder about the commitments of the church to trust in Christ's power rather than our own. I wonder about our commitments to follow Jesus or to make our own pathway to get the church to have a really good reputation rather than following Christ where Christ might lead us to go. And I wonder if sometimes we hesitate to speak the name of Jesus in the world because some Christians have muddied the name of Christ enough that we would rather just not identify with Jesus than identify with any of those Christians. You see what I mean? I worry that we let other people dictate the way that we live out our faith. I worry that we qualify our faith so much. We say, I'm Christian, but I'm not like one of those, right? I'm Methodist, but I really believe that everyone should be able to be ordained and anybody can get married. I'm not one of those Methodists, right? And by the end of it, we've qualified what we believe so much that we have no commitment to Christ. We have a commitment to our reputation and the way that other people receive us. I worry that we let other people dictate the way we live our lives of faith. I worry that the snake is still alive and well, convincing us all on a daily basis that we can do it ourselves. We can create our own power. We can create our own systems. We can do it ourselves. We can make a new life for ourselves. We can change the world for justice for ourselves. We can pursue a better world by ourselves. It's the lie that the serpent has told us from the garden all the way till today. And John has a simple and hard word for us. Jesus is coming. God is coming, and God will walk the earth at our side. And for those of us who trust in God's strength, that is an immeasurable blessing. 
But for those of us who believe that we have done it all ourselves, it will be a huge wake-up call, which is exactly what John is pointing to. That's John the Baptist. He's a lone voice, crying in the wilderness, preparing a path for the Lord to come. He's not pleasant to be around. (laughs) He's honest. And he really doesn't care if you find that offensive or not. His whole focus is on preparing all of the earth for God. His whole focus is on helping to open our eyes to see how we might have trusted the snake more than we've trusted God. His whole focus is helping us to understand that a new power is coming to shake us loose, to wake us up and call us to a greater commitment alongside one another for the redemption of all of the world. It is exactly that big. And it cannot be done by me. It can't be done by you. It can't be done by us. It can only be done through the strength of God working in us as a community of faith, walking the path laid out before us. And the only way that happens is if we identify ourselves as children of God rather than children of snakes. That is our constant challenge. In the name of the one that created you and called you good, the one who redeems you to this full identity, and the one who sustains us through every temptation and trial. Amen.